Hi, welcome to Legendary. I'm Isadora Martindai, one of your hosts. Hello, and I'm other co-host, Adam Bloor. And this is the podcast where we tell you a legend, something that's interested us, and we go behind the scenes and tell you a little bit more about its history, where it came from, and if there is any truth behind it. And intentionally, this week we picked uh, legends that did have some truth behind them. Sort of. I mean... You the, failed first off. still legends. Yeah, I did fail first off. I lied. So sorry if you listened to the last podcast. And we're expecting an episode title that involved humanities, but I started doing research and realized it wasn't nearly as interesting as I thought it was. We still might do some form of episode where it comes back, maybe? Maybe. I mean, it's not, like, uninteresting, but the, the myth that Stalin... Spoiler alert, the, the myth that Joseph Stalin had enlisted a scientist to create a human-chimpanzee hybrid is cock a doo and not true at all. So what was the truth then? There was a physiologist in the 1920s who was like, I, I want to see how far I can push science, blinded by his hubris, and was exiled, and never, there was never any... It's a phrase we need to hear more. What? Exile? You're, you're blinded by your hubris and exile. Hubris and exile. That's going to, yeah, that'll be the sh- in the show notes. That'll be the, the, the show's tagline. Yeah. T-shirts. Yeah, It'll so t-shirts. I found something more interesting. Um, and you're going first this week, so I'm tell us about it. First this week. So I did a little bit of research on Crater Lake and the Battle of the Gods. Sweet. Crater Lake, if you don't know where that is, is, oh, what national park is this in? Are you kidding me? You're like the oracle of all national oh, parks. Oh, no, sorry. So, Just as a quick side note for those that don't know about my co-host here, Adam is a has a background in journalism. It's going to clack away at a keyboard now. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Adam has a background in journalism, but he, when he left school, he hiked the Appalachian Trail from one end to the other over about six to eight months. Yeah. Uh, which is many hundreds of miles. Yeah, I didn't touch Crater Lake. That's a different one. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So, but he, he puts himself out there as the oracle of all things hiking, walking. I'm so embarrassed. National parking. I'm extra embarrassed because Crater Lake is in Crater Lake National Park. Uh, that's really but bad. I didn't know. <laughs> so I'm going to tell So Crater Lake, which is in Crater Lake National Park, is situated... Hang on, where is Crater Lake National Park? It's situated in southern Oregon. Okay. Like on the border of Oregon and California. Where's Oregon? It's on the West Coast. Okay. It's right above California underneath Washington. Okay. Washington State, not Washington, D.C. I do know the difference between those two things. Okay. <laughs> All right. So Crater Lake and the Battle of the Gods. So the just a little bit of like preliminary background about this area before I get into the legend. Crater Lake, there's a mountain. It's Mountain Mazama. It's a volcano, an active volcano. And about 8,000 years ago, it had a major eruption. And it caused the formation of a caldera which is when a volcano actually collapses in on itself and then fills up with water. I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah, very cool. Very pretty. And it's resulted in one of the most beautiful natural bodies of water in, in the United States, in my opinion. Since you just Googled it, and I can see it on the computer <laughs> it's screen. It's gorgeous. I can attest. It's a beautiful piece yeah. of water. Um, and you do walk past it if you hike the PCT. Just a little fun fact for you, not for anybody else. <laughs> It reduced the height of the volcano by nearly a mile. So, like, pretty massive explosion. Around that time of the eruption, there were uh, there was a Native American tribe living nearby. The the Klamath tribe. That's I'm pretty sure that's how it's pronounced. Sweet. Uh, they resided in southern Oregon, northern California. They lived there long enough to witness the eruption of, of Mazama. So we're going to go a little bit into the background of this tribe a little bit, and then we'll get into the actual... Bit of legend. So, 
That is the best part to start because my notes are a mess again this week because I started doing research. One of these days, as opposed to using our Instagram <laughs> posts to upload photos I'll and information just, just on what we're doing, I'll just put pictures of Adam's notes up and you will understand why he never knows what's because going on. Because it's literal madness. He also spends like hours researching all this stuff. way too much time. He spends hours and hours researching this stuff, whereas I, like, pick and choose stuff off Wikipedia. Generally... And then he can't read it. Generally, though, to be fair, uh, I get distracted with Animal Crossing more than than actually doing the research. Yeah, so Animal Crossing. Okay, so... Biggest sucky time waster of Adam's (laughs) life. (laughs) So we're going to go a bit into the white man's misconception of the Native Americans' interactions with Crater Lake. Okay. So there was a, a prospector whose name was John Wesley Hillman, and he was a prospector in the States during the gold rush. He was one of the first European-Americans to ever see Crater Lake, uh, and he observed the Klamath's people with it, and they had this sort of reverence for it. Okay. Um, a writer wrote, None of the people of the valley of the lakes or meadows and rivers dare to regard the land of Gawas carelessly. For it is a high place and sacred to the tribe. Gawas was the Native American word for the mountain Mazama. Before, before we obviously came before and renamed everything. Yeah. 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 Um, they also wrote, None would exo- acknowledge such a lake existed. We learned from a medicine man that this place was looked upon as sacred and death came to any Indian who gazed upon the lake. Mm. So there was this this sense of awe, of reverence, and some, some fear associated with, with Gawas. And when the when the settlers came and were experiencing it for the first time. There was a leader of the Klamath Tribal Council who said that the stories were a bit exaggerated, um, that it was more likely that the Crater Lake actually just lacked resources and that uh, there was no reason to go there because the descent into the crater is super, super dangerous. Okay. Um, and there was also like a neighboring tribe. Okay. The, they do revere it in a, in a very almost religious way. It was seen as a ceremonial place, a place of purification, a place to gain knowledge and strength of body and mind. It was also a dwelling place for two powerful spirits, and this is where we start getting into the legend a bit. So there were two powerful legends, or two, sorry, two powerful spirits that resided near Mount Mazama. Uh, I'm going to butcher these pronunciation, pronunciations. Forgive me. I'm just an ignorant <laughs> college dropout. Uh... The first was Lao, L-L-A-O, um, and he was the master of the underworld, what they called the below world. Family. Uh, yeah, yes, he was, he's essentially like the quote-unquote devil, what we would call the, the Judo, Judeo-Christian yeah. devil, uh, and he dwelled in a fiery pit underneath Crater Lake, mm-hmm. or where Crater Lake would be. He lived in the mountain, basically. Mm-hmm. And then there was Skell. And he was the master of all animals who lived above earth, on earth and in the sky. He was their above ground spiritual entity. Okay. They both fell in love with a claimant's chieftain's daughter. And they both asked for her hand in marriage, but the chieftain said, no, she cannot marry either of you because she is in line to replace me when I, when I die. Uh, so Lao. Good for him. Yeah, very, very open minded. Mm hmm. Uh, Lao, the king of the underworld, feels slighted by this and goes off to the mountain to be angry and sulky. Skell, on the other hand, understands this position and pledges to help the tribe in any way that he can. So you already have this like dichotomy, good and evil yeah. sort of thing going on. So Lao then forces the issue, and he says, You will give me your daughter in three days, or I will rain seven days of fire 
upon your village. The daughter wishes to sacrifice herself to save her okay. people. They say no, and they tie her face down in a tent <laughs> to prevent her from running off. And then they all also... Very lay, specific knowledge. They all also lay face down, and they just wait for the end to come. They're unwilling to give... They're unwilling, so unwilling to give her away that they just are ready to... Lay down To sacrifice the village okay. or the tribe for her. Um... But then Skell comes along, and he says, hey, I'll give you guys a hand. And Lau throws a flaming boulder at him mm-hmm. and strikes him dead. Just kills him, like, outright. And that's the eruption. That's where we get the okay. of the Mount Mazama eruption. Yeah. Is the, the god of the underworld, essentially, throwing a flaming boulder at the god mm-hmm. and killing him. Nice. So the story continues from there because you can't have the good guy be dead yeah. at the end of the story. So Skell's heart is removed from his body and carried to the top of the mountain where Lau is. It's disrespected. It's described as being treated like a baseball. They're like throwing it around. It's really <laughs> weird and like very bizarre and super specific. Does, uh, it's described as being treated like a baseball? Yeah. Well, the, the research that I found this was originally published in like the 1980s. Okay. So like probably not a direct translation. Okay. Also, a lot of these stories are were orally. Yeah. Yeah. You know, oral traditions and stuff like that. So I don't know if any of it was written yeah. down previously. Couldn't find any evidence of that. But it was, yeah, like they were playing catch. Okay. It. And maybe the person who was writing this research in the 80s wasn't creative enough to come up with a better analogy. No, but it was. Who was playing catch with them? Sorry. I uh, Lau. Lau and Lau's children. Okay. Um, so he was God of the underworld, but he controlled a lot of this, like a lot of spirits. It, they claimed that there was a massive dragon that lived in the lake who would pull unsuspecting travelers into the lake if they got too close. So there, he's just up there like messing around. I think it's mostly meant to describe a, so much disrespect for this other okay. being that they're treating his heart like this. Um, and Loud says, hey, I've got this guy's heart. I'm, I'm lord of everything. Like, I'm the king of everything now. And Coyote, who is one of Skell's children, okay. um, says, uh, Skell may live if we return his heart to him. And so he goes up to the mountain and starts to make fun of Lau and Lau's okay. uh, minions. Says, like, oh, you guys aren't throwing that heart very far. This is literally, like, in the in the folklore. I like it. Weasel, Weasel and Coyote, who are often, yeah. often portrayed as, like, wily, intelligent beings, go up to the top of the mountain and they go, haha, like, you can't throw his heart very far. What kind of leader are you? Mm-hmm. And they do that over and over until... Lau becomes so infuriated that he hurls Skell's heart off the top of the mountain back into Skell's domain. Nice. So into the, his body? No. So from there, Skell's faithful children carry his heart back to his body. The fox picks it up off the ground, uh, and as soon as he gets tired, the antelope picks it up and runs it off, and an eagle swoops down out of the sky and carries the heart and then Aww. it is the voice of a dove that pronounces the uh, Skell's return. Okay. So they managed to get his heart back. Nice. I kind of like the imagery there. Yeah. It's really just kind of like Disney-esque. It, I was going to say, it reminds me of uh, something that in a movie would suddenly turn animated. Yeah. I like it. It's mm-hmm. nice. And uh, Lau hears this. Lau hears the proclamation that Skell has arrived and challenges Skell to a wrestling match. Okay. Um, Skell, who has just returned from the dead, knows that Lau is stronger, but would rather fight him than appear cowardly in front of the children who had just, Great. his four children who had just brought yeah. him back to life. Wonderful. It then describes 
their situation getting Skell back to the mountain, and Lau uh, carries him over his shoulder. Lau is so much stronger than Skell that he literally just hoists him over his shoulder like a baby. To go fight him. To go wrestle him on a okay. mountain. And Skell, on the way up to the mountain, says, La- Laus? Like, so lice. Yeah. Lice are biting me, and I need a scratch. Okay. This is his master plan. Okay. Lau responds with, What matter a little bite when I'm soon to cut you into pieces and feed you to my children? That was my thought. And Skell says, But you will grant me this last wish. Okay. And Lau very stupidly puts him on the ground. Okay. And in his moment of having a drop defense, Skell cuts his head off and kills him. Okay. So once again, you have this sort of, and this happens, I find, and I'm sure a lot of people know this, in like folklore where you win more often by being intelligent than by being strong. Yes. You very, you out- Although once someone would argue that chopping someone's head off in their moment of weakness is a bit cowardly. It's not strength or no, intelligence. It's more, it's more that you're, I think it's more that you're clever. Okay. This ties back in with the coyote and the weasel yeah. who fool the evil god yeah. into throwing his heart off, yeah. the, off the mountain. So he cuts his head off uh-huh. and then quarters the body. Right? Okay. So we have four pieces of the evil king's body. Five. Five, yeah, including the head. Okay. So they take the quarters up to the top of the mountain again and start throwing it into the pit. Okay. And his... At this point, it's still a... It's just a pit. Volcano. Yeah, yeah, into the volcano. And Lao's children eat all the quarters. They, they like, just, they just eat. Okay. Uh, and then when Skell throws Lao's head into the pit, they realize that their leader has been slain, and they weep so hard, they weep so much that they fill the crater with water. Okay. And it becomes Crater Lake. And so there's a bit more mythology uh, that has has to do specifically with the head. Mm-hmm. There's an island in Crater Lake called Wizard Island, and the, the some of the folklore goes into the head was thrown into the lake, his children didn't eat it, and the crater filled up, and his head became the island. Okay. So that's a bit of a bit of the uh-huh. the end of that folklore is yeah, it's just a classic battle of good and evil. I like it. Yeah, and there's a bit. Of, I'm not sure if it's this legend specifically, because when I was doing the research for this, I found a kind of similar story from Australia. Okay. I wasn't aware that they had any active volcanoes, and I'm not sure that they do. I am. I was just reading, an, and it was an English publication, so I'm not even sure if... Um, so like, it's, it was very confusing, because it very obviously references a place that exists in the United States. We, might as well, we should just cut this all out, because it doesn't have anything to do with anything. Keep going. It might be interesting. <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't write any of it down. Um because it didn't seem pertinent, and I didn't see how it connected. Um, but what was interesting is there are a lot of... Similar uh, myths. Well, yeah, well, there's all, there's a lot of myths that go with just the creation of Crater Lake. It's not that one exclusively. Okay. And in my research, I got a bit confused, and that's why I have these massive... Uh, cross-outs. Yeah, cross-outs in my notes, is because there were some places where they, like, interchange the names of the gods as the good and evil god. Okay. Which is weird, because those things are normally very... They're set in stone. It's yeah. not like Zeus and Hades ever yeah. changed positions in Greek mythology. Um, and I'm not sure if that's just because of how the settlers were taking in the information, because obviously they were already already had the misconception that they were they were afraid of Crater Lake yeah. instead of just unwilling to go there because it was dangerous yeah. and dumb. So I, I'm not sure if that's what the case was. Um, there was another interesting uh, bit of the mythology where instead of uh, the gods, like, 
kill. Well, they do end up. So the good god does usually triumph in the end. Okay. But there is a, a one version of the story where two medicine men decide to sacrifice themselves in the pit. Um, and that's what, and then it rains for like 40 days and that fills the crater. Okay. Um, my favorite, well, the one that I read was my favorite because there's like seven iterations of this story, but it's suspected that Mount Shasta, which is a mountain slightly further south in California, it's considered the sister mountain. Okay. May have had a, an eruption around the same time because there's a story that describes the, the love, the illicit love affair between, or not love affair, but you know, the one of the two gods for this, yeah, for this well, tribal, for this daughter, and the evil god throws the the boulder down, and in retaliation, the the good god throws his boulder like at the other mountain. So there's some, there's some, you know, these two mountain ranges have been, oh, not mountain ranges, but two mountains have been, at, like, high they're like, and they're warring. It's not, it's not like a an instance of. This is the one time I do this. Yeah. But it's like a continuing story of good and evil battling uh, across, like, mountain ranges, which is really, really cool. Awesome. Yeah. That is cool. Yeah, yeah. Based in the reality of volcanoes raining down real fire on a yeah, tribe. Yeah, I was. I thought it was going to be a lot more difficult to find a story based in reality, not remembering that a lot of folklore is based on... You know, events that happen. Explaining yeah. stuff that was unexplainable. Yeah, ancient people have forever been, you know, using gods as the reason for the, you know, it rains and why there's large bodies of water and stuff like that. That's cool. So it's really cool. Yeah. All right. You did a super ancient one. Yeah. I'm doing a super modern one. Cool. And I am going to tell you about the legend of Cropsy. Okay. I thought, okay, since you talked okay. about this at the end of the last yeah. podcast, I did not assume it was going to be like a hospital. Oh, really? You said Cropsy, and I immediately, my... American and you know it's a hospital building, because uh, you throw it up on the screen. Yes, my simple American brain says. Well, it's not really. It's not really? No. Okay, well, let's get into it, then. Okay, so Cropsy is an old-school campfire legend in and around New York. Okay. And it is the tale that if you were to go to a summer camp around New York, you might hear this tale. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to give you... The version that was made into a 1981 TV film. Okay. Okay. Cool. Cropsy is working at a summer camp. Mm-hmm. And in varying points of the legend, he is a respected member of the community. And in this one, he's, a, I believe, a janitor or caretaker at the summer camp. And he, the children go in and they put a skull beside his bed with a candle in it, mm-hmm. and then they knock on the window to wake him up mm-hmm. to spook him with this yeah. candle lit skull. He wakes up and knocks the candle over, and his cabin catches on fire. And his face gets all burnt up, and he escapes with his life. Mm-hmm. He then returns and a year later and starts killing children. Okay. With an axe. Interesting. And that's the basic legend of Cropsy. Cool. Now. Is it a very 80s? Yeah, this is a totally 70s, 80s slasher movie. I'm I'm already imagining Jason Voorhees. So apparently this movie was made right before Friday the 13th. Okay. Or right after it. And it basically got panned as being just like a... A ripoff. A ripoff. Oh, that's kind of a bummer. Even though the legend has been around for a long, it's a very a long time, that's cool. And it was very much a used as a parable for like, don't go out in the woods. Yeah, we have a lot of those in the states. Don't go out alone. Yeah, 
all that kind of stuff. And it's a pretty well-known legend, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, if you go to these summer camps around New York, it's going to be one of the ones that you get told at the campfires. Yeah. And it always is based around the same idea, that a person got his face burnt in a fire. Sometimes he is a doctor and his wife and children lived at the camp and uh, sometimes he has a hook for a hand. Usually he's killing people with an axe. That tends to be the one yeah. of the like things. Anyway, the legend began in Staten Island. Mm-hmm. And there was actually a Cropsey that lived in Staten Island. Okay. John Cropsey. And he was an artist. And, and as far as they can tell, they have no idea why this name got related yeah. in Staten Island with this guy hmm. or with this name Cropsey. But in Staten Island, the legend very much was built around Willowbrook State School. Okay. So generally all over, this was the idea was that this guy killed people. Mm-hmm. In Willow, so let me tell you a little bit. The legend in Staten Island was that he lived in the tunnels under Willowbrook State School. Okay. Came out, took children, and killed them. Okay, okay. Same. But this Cropsey artist guy was never involved. No, seriously, this was no. There's no reason. It literally, there is there is a reality behind, not behind this, but there's a reality connected to this. Mm -hmm. It's just weird that though, because we talked a bit about Crow. Yeah, the name that like doesn't tie back to anything. Doesn't tie back to anything. Well, this guy Cropsey's not a usual name. No. So there is a Cropsey from Staten Island. Uh-huh. There's almost nothing creepy that I could find about him. Okay. So, I mean, it leads me to believe that, and I, I'm sorry if I'm disparaging the name of someone's ancestors here, but maybe whether we know it or not, this guy was up to something shady. Maybe. And it just got related. Or he could have just been when he got, became that scary old dude that lived down the road. Like, yeah. And nothing was up with him at all. So weird. But his name, Cropsey, has become a byproduct for this entire legend. Mm-hmm. And very specifically, and the one that has the most kind of, had the most horror and fear was the version based at Willowbrook State School. Okay. So, Willowbrook State School, also known as Willowbrook Mental Hospital, operated as an institution for the mentally disabled children and adults. Mm-hmm. It's originally built, I believe, to house war veterans. Okay. And then the government uh, stepped in and said uh, that they needed someone to house mentally disabled children. Mm-hmm. And Willowbrook was the place that they pinpointed. I'm sorry, did you mention years? This, I, I'm going to go, yeah, I mean, this is in the 1950s, okay. 40s. Okay. So this is kind of after World War II, this yeah, is going to yeah, be yeah. the yeah. point of this one. And at this point, Staten Island was really just a farming community. Mm-hmm. There was no. I mean, like, now it's, like, like I, I believe, there. is there a Staten Island Bridge? Yarr. So I believe there used to just be a ferry. Okay. And when it was a ferry, it was a fairly under underutilized, it was yeah. the mo- least populated borough in New York. Yeah, okay. Then they built a bridge, and it's still considered one of the nicest neighborhoody places to mm-hmm. live. So it's like neighborhoods, people have yards and gardens. Yeah. and We're very suburban. Suburban now, but back then it was farming. Yeah, okay. Okay, so Willowbrook was originally designed for 4,000 patients, but by the 1960s it held over 6,000. Okay. It caused the states to become cramped, and at one point state and federal run jails had more square foot available per inmate than Willowbrook did per person, per patient. Beds were placed 10 inches from each other, there wasn't enough food, they didn't have enough toiletries. Unlike today, where background checks are required of people who worked with children and patients, in Willowbrook it wasn't necessary. Mm-hmm. So the first person who really kind of stepped up was actually Robert Kennedy, mm-hmm. who visited in 1965 and called it the Snake Pit. Ooh. 
not only because of the horrible conditions with which he found the patients, but also because of the vile smell that allegedly permeated the Yeah, house. I believe it. So also, Staten Island is where they dump all the trash. <laughs> yes. The rubbish. Yeah. So this whole island's, like, Mess. certainly in the 1960s, was... Not great. ...just considered one of the worst places. Yeah, that sucks. So, actually, Robert Kennedy couldn't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. So he went in 65, and he reported back, and a lot of politicians really hated it, but everyone else didn't really know what to do with it. So seven years later, there was a guy named Geraldo Rivera, and he was a young reporter with Eyewitness News. Oh, wait, Geraldo Rivera, isn't he? Oh, Geraldo, yeah. Isn't he? He's a Pulitzer Prize winning. Yeah, <laughs> he's okay. a big dude. <laughs> he's a big whatever. Big dude now. Um, he actually went in and did an expose on it. Okay. It was like his first yeah. big thing. In his expose, he interviewed Bernard Carabello, a 21-year-old patient with cerebral palsy. Now, something I think that's really important to point out in this, but also generally, is that this institution, they didn't differentiate mm-hmm. between what kind of disability mm-hmm. you had. So those who have cerebral palsy, as is very evidenced by some of the more famous people with cerebral palsy, mm-hmm. it doesn't, it, you can, intellectually, you can be as gifted as anybody. Mm-hmm. It does not affect your intellectual capacity for understanding what's going on around you. Yeah. All it affects is your ability to be able to control your body. Mm-hmm. And this guy was 21. He'd been a resident there since he was three years old. And this is a quote for him. Um, he eloquently explained the environment he called a disgrace. I got beaten with sticks, belt buckles. I got my head kicked into the wall by staff. Most of the kids sat in the day room naked with no clothes on. There was a lot of sexual abuse going on from staff and residents. Also. Mm. On a positive note, he's in his late 60s now and is retiring as, from a job as a state employee in Manhattan. Oh, cool. So his life... Turned around. I'm sure probably not very happily so, because here's some of the stuff that yeah that went on. They were kept in locked cages. Mm-hmm. They were covered in their own filth. This is when they, when he did his expose. Because there wasn't enough food, they rationed it out. So patients were eating their own filth. Mm. There was rampant sexual, physical, and emotional abuse. And if you ever want to completely scar yourself for life, you should look at the pictures. Uh-huh. You've got tons of children yeah. with obvious difficulties, curled up on beds naked, mm. crying in corners. It looks like the worst horror film you could ever imagine mm-hmm. happening. Mm-hmm. It was eventually emptied. Um, that led to its own issues, which is actually you've got 6,000 patients with mm-hmm. that they had to find somewhere for them to go. Yeah. So a lot of them did just get put out on the streets, basically. Uh-huh. Um, and it became actually a real problem <laughs> in Staten Island and Manhattan that they were seeing a huge rise without, with no one, with nowhere no, to put no, them. No, yeah, there was no, there's no other institution that, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so they either go into prisons, which are, <laughs> yes. which isn't great for them, or they go out onto the streets. So you might at that point think, well, maybe they should have cleaned up Willowbrook. Yeah. However, it gets worse. Okay. Dr. Sal Krugman tried to find a treatment for hepatitis by intentionally infecting mm. The patients at Willowbrook school, uh, school, he passed the virus onto them in their food, which he spiked with vi- feces that had already got Jesus. the virus in it. 
He injected live forms of the virus into unaffected patients. None of this was obviously done with the consent of the patients, their parents, and legal guardians. He didn't really ever get taken to task with this. In fact, when he died, he was quite lauded for having (laughs) created... A cure for hepatitis C. Some did it come out? Did it, did they actually did. Then? They actually awfully. Um, they had a case of measles that ran through that killed off sixty people. Um, awfully because of the abuse and yeah. sickness there, they did come up with yeah that's some cures right. for stuff. But safe to say, it is probably one of the blackest marks on history of yeah, the, the careful, <laughs> careful. Yeah. and I mean it, you'll often hear and maybe I'll look into it at one point bedlam mm-hmm. um, uh, you've heard that it's complete bedlam yeah so bedlam was actually not it, it's a bastardization of the name of the mental hospital in London during the Victorian oh, period okay. um, where they would people could pay to go and wander around the insane asylum to look at the crazy people oh god yeah so maybe we'll talk about that a little yeah. bit. But it, but not that you expect at any point in history, but at least in the, I think Bedlam was the 1800s. Yeah. At least you're thinking, well, okay, but this is 100 years later, yeah. Yeah. and they're still doing the same thing. Yeah. And people were putting their children in there and, and just not visiting, and this was, this was where they got abandoned to. And also, I will say, calling it school of any sort. Mm. It was a complete misnomer. Yes. <laughs> there was no schooling. No, 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 of course not. No schooling here at all. So after this all happened, it was emptied and it was essentially abandoned because mm-hmm. no one wanted to have anything to do with it. No, and um, you can still see like pictures of people who run in there and take photos. Of the same building. Is it still standing? Still standing. Um, and there, are, most of the buildings are still abandoned. Um, so it's a compound? It's a compound. It's a huge compound. Yeah. So it was actually a huge hospital. Yeah. And the state school mental hospital part of it was its own separate okay. thing. There are some aerial photos of it mm-hmm. where you can see kind of the huge scale of it. Also, there's an amazing documentary called Cropsy, which yeah. goes into some of this um, by two guys that actually, oh, I can't remember, that actually grew up in... Staten Island, hearing this legend. So, thus far, uh, really, these two things don't tie back to each other. Mm-hmm. So, Cropsy became about the legend of someone living in the tunnels underneath all over state mental school. Okay. And st- in the legend, a former patient yeah. had gone and lived under the tunnels when mm-hmm. he- they'd been kicked out and killing children. Okay. Now we're going to kind of change. Okay. The legend of the Cropsy documentary is based around a particular guy, Andre Rand. Mm-hmm. Now, Andre Rand went missing in 1987. Okay. No, wait, that was totally wrong. Yeah, 1967? No, no, no. Jennifer Schweizer went missing okay. in, on July 9th, 1987. And she was born with Down syndrome. Witnesses saw her walking with Rand. And that was the last thing they saw to the patient, I'm assuming. This was after it had been disbanded. Okay. She was just a little girl with Down syndrome. Okay. She was, I think, 12 or something. 13. She was eventually found after a 35-day search in an underground tunnel. Okay. Of the State okay. It turns out that Andre Rand had been a janitor mm-hmm. at Willowbrook State yeah. Hospital. Not a patient 
but he'd worked there. Actually, I don't think he was a janitor. I think he was just a legitimate, like, custodian, orderly, physical therapist. This is when they had no background checks. And right, yeah, yeah. It was, like, mid-60s. And after it closed, it seems like he didn't leave. And he lived in Willowbrook and committed some really creepy crimes. Mm -hmm. He wasn't picked up until 1987. Mm -hmm. So for about 20 years, he was terrorizing Staten Island. Yeah. These are some of the things he's done. One of the weirdest ones was he picked up a group of 12 children from the YMCA in Staten Island in a school bus, Uh, purchased a meal for them mm. without the consent of any of their parents, and took them to Newark. None of the children were harmed. He was apprehended and served 10 months in jail from an unlawful imprisonment. That's not close. That's not like a... No, and it's also just a... Why? Weird crime. Yeah. And I have no idea. It's one of those things that came up time and time again, that this was one of his first criminal Mm -hmm. acts. And in fact, I think the only one that he was... Caught with, caught for before, later. And that was briefly, I think that was right after Willowbrook had closed. Okay. So after that, from what everyone can tell, he went back to Willowbrook and lived there. These are his alleged victims. In 1972, five-year-old Alice vanished after her brother had left her for alone for a moment. They were playing in the lobby of a building on the island Reports suggested that Alice may have been sighted in one of the parks. Rand was the prime suspect in this case due to his previous criminal record, taking all the children. Um, she was never seen again. Did they know he was living there? No. Okay. After... So they all, from what I can tell, they kind of knew he was around, and he was like the weirdo. Yeah. None, no one particularly liked him, but no one really knew where he was living, and he was never convicted of anything. Okay. Like, he was just... Go there, around. Yeah. Okay. In 1981, so nine years later, Mm. seven-year-old Holly did not return after going home from the store to get a bar of soap with her friends. Rand pulled up to Holly and her friend and pulled Holly into his Volkswagen and drove off with Holly. Her parents filed a misdemeanor report and a search was issued. When questioned, several eyewitnesses reported seeing Hughes with Rand. She was last seen with Rand and was not seen again. Her body has never been recovered. In 2004, he was finally convicted of kidnapping Holly. Okay. But at the time, so so far, he's been the prime suspect in, or he's committed one kidnapping of 11 children, Mm -hmm. and he's been the prime suspect in the the disappearance of two others. Okay. But nine years in between them. It's a weird, slow... Burn. Yeah, it's really, really weird. I don't understand. And also, how was he living in the, on the, premises if the boat if, um, he was the only inhabitant uh, well this is where they think the legend of him living in the underground tunnels come from there was underground tunnels at Willowbrook yeah um, just weird that he would have access to a bus well I'm assuming that there was a bus and that came with that was still I think the bus the children were on the bus and he oh, got he on the bus, the bus so he stole the bus wow. and the kids came okay. with okay. it okay that, yeah, okay I thought that maybe there was a bus on the premises or maybe he was driving school buses at this point, actually. I'm trying to remember from the documentary. Uh-huh. He might have been driving school buses at this point gotcha. after the Willowbrook thing. And he just drove off with the bus. And he just drove off okay. with the bus. Because then it's also like if he was living in, because uh, that happened, and then it was like nine years later he kidnaps this girl with a car. Did he steal the car? Did he have a car? I know these are like weird things to I, sort of, I know. This... To like pick apart. But it's like if he was living in the tunnels, where did he get a car? Yeah. Huh. I'm actually thinking, I don't know. Okay, and then in 1983, 
Tahisa Jackson was reported missing after her mother was sent to buy food and she did not return. She, he ran to a question, but no charges were brought in, brought in 1984. Hank Garofo was reported missing after he did not return. He was described as being slow mm-hmm. and had an IQ in the 70s. What a creep. At the time of his disappearance, he was 21 or 22. Reports last seeing him in a local diner with Rand in the early morning. His body has never been found. Mm. Then 1987, Jennifer. It's just weird because, like, when I, I find, or I in my mind, when these sort of things happen, right, and yeah. the community is aware that there is a strange person living in their vicinity and is often seen with people who go missing, yeah, even if there is no or a little validity to these claims, and sometimes there is, but in this case it seems like there's not, there's usually a huge witch hunt, and this person... Is run out of town? Or murdered in some such, or thrown in jail. It's weird that it took so long for this person to, you know, be brought to justice. As Indeed. And he, I mean, when the police, it, it obviously the police had was, huge issues yeah. with him. I and this is where this legend comes from, which I find so so interesting, mm-hmm. is that whether the Cropsey legend was around before this, mm-hmm. and I I was trying to find out whether pre nineteen kind of sixties mm-hmm. whether people were telling the story of Cropsey, and it seems like they were. Okay. Obviously, at some point in this, people's fears got laid on to what was going on there. Yeah. So, Cropsey not only became a parable about how you should stay out of the woods at camp, yeah. but how you should stay away from Willowbrook Mental Hospital, how you should stay. Yeah. Like, so the two things, to say Cropsey was the legend Cropsey is based in reality is perhaps not right as to say it, it's it like, merged yeah. into a, sub, a thing based in reality. Either way, mm-hmm. while the childish things... Well, to be fair, they, no one ever found the body. Maybe they were killed with an axe. Yeah. But the more childish elements of them, which are the burnt face and the, the bogeyman stuff. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. The other elements of it are very true. Living mm-hmm. in the caves, Willowbrook State Mental Hospital, stealing children. Yeah. There's another side of that, which is I think that And Andre Rand was perhaps not very intelligent himself mm-hmm. and felt very displaced after Willowbrook. I think perhaps before he started going out and killing people and things like that, perhaps Willowbrook had had its impact, really negative impact on him and his yeah. own psyche. Yeah. Uh, they were throwing buckets of cold water at the kids. Mm-hmm. They were, I, I can imagine that if you were slightly damaged anyway mm-hmm. maybe that's what would have attracted you to the job but yeah. also maybe if you were slightly damaged anyway and then you saw that happening it could have totally sent anyone off the deep end in how they dehumanize dehumanize yeah those with special mm-hmm. needs those with yeah children yeah in 1988 he was charged with kidnapping and first degree murder of jennifer they could not reach a verdict on the murder charge but convicted him of first degree kidnapping he was sentenced to 25 years of life in prison. He would have been eligible for parole in 2008 had he not then been convicted of the second kidnapping. Okay. So what they did was they didn't charge him until right before he was coming up for parole uh-huh. of the second kidnapping of Holly. Yeah. So that then he couldn't serve the sentences concurrently. Okay. So he had to f- serve one and then the other. Yeah. 
Um, he's sentenced 25 years in prison for that. They, according to the Cropsey documentary, some people along with detectives speculate that Rand may have been involved in some Satanism stuff and provided with the children, provided the children to be sacrificed. Well, the movie's right. I was about to say, I just put that down to Satanic Panic. Yeah. Um, there's an amazing podcast on Satanic Panic as well. Mm. Um, I'll have to look it up and put it in the show notes because it's great. I just believe that he was crazy. Yeah. But there are other theories. There were people who thought that Rand was not alone in the commission of his crimes and many believed he was passing the children around to his friends in the underground network of mentally disabled and homeless people living in the tunnel systems of the former Willowbrook State mm. School. But there's no evidence of no. being more than just... I didn't manage to find anything actually about more people living in the world but tunnel mm-hmm. system, although I absolutely believe there could be more people living in yeah. the world. I mean, you're displacing a whole load of people. Yeah, they're going to go somewhere. They're going to go somewhere. In 2004, he was brought to trial again for Holly. There is no st- statute of limitations in New York for first-degree kidnapping. Yay! Well done, yeah, New York. so they could... So they, yeah, they convicted him to another 25 years in life imprisonment. He will become eligible for parole in 2007 when he will be 93 years old. Mm, well, he would have done since 2020 now. 2037. That's what you, okay, I think you said, you said 2007. I oh, heard so 2004, he was convicted. And then 25 years after. 25 years, parole, 2037. Yeah. Well, that would be twenty anyway. Parole comes up before, but it, but twenty five years after two thousand and four would be twenty twenty nine, not twenty thirty seven. Okay, but if he was his last, maybe because his last sentence didn't finish until a certain point, because okay. he was already sentenced for something else where he oh, didn't right. come up for parole till two thousand and eight. Mm. So I don't know. Whatever. Point is, he's in jail. Yeah, and he is obviously. I mean, honestly, you see pictures of him and things like that. He looks like exactly what you would imagine mm-hmm. a creepy serial yeah. killer thing thing to look like. It's weird. So the original Cropsey story, yeah, the the, the, the like in the woods folklore, yeah. the campfire folklore, is all about a guy whose house burned down, bro, who accidentally burned his own house down, and then became like a crazy murderer, yeah. And there's no evidence to support that that ever actually happened. Not that I could find. I have to say one of the bigger issues with Cropsey, of course, is that everybody just talks about Andre Rand. But so were, trying to get yeah, back behind that. It's tough to do. Yeah. But there were never like any mutilated bodies nope. or... No. Nope. So I want to know what the act... So you're, you're right. It is probably just there was a, a crazy old man whose last name was Cropsey. That's what I think. I'm, I'm guessing that's what happened. There might have been a fire. In Staten Island. Yeah. So that's... So he lived in Staten Island. Oh, Cropsey did. The original okay. Cropsey lived in Staten Island. Of course. Yeah, on a farm. The stories then... Yeah. So on a, sta- on a farm in Staten Island, there was a guy named Cropsey who yeah. lived there who was an artist. Then that legend spread further than just Staten Island. So mm-hmm. it's, it isn't just a Staten Island legend yeah. anymore. But I think over the years, it mutated to be so closely tied to Willowbrook. But they're just, they're, they're indistinguishable. Yeah, because as a legend, it's not a newspaper story. This is not... Right. It does, they do evolve. So I think mm-hmm. depending on where they were, Staten Island, yes, there were summer camps, but we're not talking wilderness and woods. So yeah. perhaps their legend evolved to tunnels and yeah. stuff. Whereas... Upstate New York, it's going to much more likely be he lives in a cabin out in the middle of the woods. Yeah, I mean it does make sense. A lot of that stuff, when uh, when something that horrible happens, people have a, a way of sort of exp- of like explaining it away because you don't want it to just be like a person. Yeah, people do this 
this is not a great example, but people do it with Hitler, where they're like, and yeah, Hitler was obviously a terrible person, but they were like, he was addicted to like, he had a pee fetish. And it's like, well, maybe not. Like, you just say that because you can't wrap your mind around the fact that someone whose brain was, by all intents and purposes, like normal, could prescribe something so terrible. So it makes sense that they would tie the two legends together, but it does sound like he maybe was of unstable mind. I mean... But there's no way. I think Willowbrook, by the sounds of things, would have tipped anyone over the edge. There are, by the way, so many amazing humans and success stories that came out of Willowbrook. There's actually a documentary called Willowbrook 25 Years On or something mm-hmm. where they look at some of the people oh, that came great. through it. And uh, there was a savant who came out of that who was, a, I believe, a writer or a poet. I was supposed to go in looking at that. But there's some really positive, <laughs> there were some positive things about really? Willowbrook. Not, not about Willowbrook, but. The people who came, who survived yeah. such atrocities. Yes, there were some really, really positive things that should not get totally overlooked. Mm-hmm. And it should really highlight this idea that every single, for me, one of the things it highlighted was that you have to treat every single difference individually. Yeah. So you can't treat someone who has Down syndrome in the same way that you treat somebody who has cerebral palsy. Right. And you can't treat someone that has cerebral palsy in the same way that you might treat somebody who is born without a limb. Mm-hmm. There's different... Yeah. There's a long history of that, of, of mistreatment of people. And just putting people all in one big boat and yeah. saying, you don't act exactly like... They can all be treated the same. Yeah, you don't exactly act like you or I or the person that we meet in the street. So, therefore, we're going to treat them all the same. Yeah. And I think no one at Willowbrook should have been treated like Willowbrook treated them. But I think it's an important lesson to know from any hospitals going forward. Oh, yeah. That they're starting... Now they are. I mean, absolutely, they're yeah, starting they're to understand that... strides, obviously. Um, but it's just crazy when you think it was... 40, 50 years, 70 years ago? 70 years ago, where just absolute abuse. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, a lot of... A lot of like the hospital that I went to, that's in the city where I went to university, it has a, had a huge long history of abusing its patients and so large mass unmarked graves and stuff like that. It's, yeah. it's it's wild. It's crazy. Yeah. But it is nice to hear that there there were like patients who were big horrible victims of this like terrible terrible place who managed to survive and thrive, rise like phoenix phoenix phoenixes phoenixes like phoenixes from the yeah. ashes. I agree. I think it's... Yeah. Anyway, so that's the legend of Cropsy. What are we like going to do next? I didn't like that. Sorry. You did a really nice really one. really brought me down. <laughs> you did a really <laughs> nice one, and I did a really now. dark one. Well, I'm glad... Yeah, I'm glad we didn't both do something horribly dark and depressing. No. Okay, so what are we going to do next? I don't know. I didn't plan that far ahead. And as it goes to show, if the recording for some reason messes up, God forbid... I'm going to say one thing, and two days from now, come back with something completely different. Okay. Do you have any ideas? I was thinking I was going to do a mythical creature. Ooh, interesting. Don't know what one yet. Interesting. But I was thinking I'd go mythical how are you gonna, How are you describing mythical? How are you... Not, not humanoid. Okay. Okay. So that would exclude, like, werewolves and vampires? I'm going to go with either, I'm thinking Loch Ness, mm. unicorn, yeah. dragon. Maybe we'll just go mythical, then. Maybe. That's what I'm thinking, yeah. like, non... Something a little bit more general than, than what we've been doing for the last couple episodes, do you think? Or do you want to just pick a specific... I don't know. Loch Ness is hardly general. That's true. But, like, unicorns and dragons and stuff. Yeah. There's, like, there's... 
So do we want to do do we want to do a legitimate like non-humanoid like deep dive into a mythical creature? Yeah, we can do that. That might be fun, but I'm not sure. All right, leaving you with that. We'll think about it. <laughs> and you, you will be as surprised as both of us when we come back to to do this next time. Okay, so here's the important things to remember: if you like us, hit subscribe, please. please. Um, and if you really like us, rate and review us. Please. And if you don't like us... Let us know. Let us know. Or if you really love us, let us know. Yeah, okay. Yeah. No, seriously, please subscribe, rate and review on iTunes or wherever you listen. Follow um, the Instagram. Follow the Instagram, which is The Truth of Legends. And each week we're posting a few pictures and a couple of snippets from the episode so that you guys can keep up with what we're doing and so you have a visual idea as to what everything looks like. Mm-hmm. Um we really want to hear from you. We're trying to come up with another segment that you may have already heard because we might go back and drop it in in between episodes. Yeah. And something that we want to hear more from you guys and learn a little bit more about you guys out there. Yeah, I want to hear about your... What you think and feel. Yeah. Um. So keep an ear out for that. Watch the Instagram page. Yep. And subscribe. Definitely subscribe. All right, bye, guys. Bye. Thank you. Bye.